Hello everyone and welcome to the Arsenal Way and yes we have another episode of Analyzing Arsenal for you guys and as usual we have a reach scouting writer with us Josh Williams. Josh how are you? Doing good mate. Uh, regular occurrence for me now this week. Um, every week we seem to be appearing on so uh, Dave seems to be on holiday at the minute uh, so I'm getting used to it yet so I'm going to Arsenal every week. <laughs> Can't go wrong watching the Arsenal at the moment. The way they are playing, Josh, just give me a, a little brief preview on how you think Arsenal are playing at the moment, especially the game against Watford, the 3-2 win. Just what were your initial thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I expected it. And the fact that I expected it, I think, shows signs of development because I think in previous years, a relegation candidate away from home, maybe Arsenal would have been a, a little bit light. But um, in the modern day, I expect them to win. Uh, and it's, it's no surprise to me, really, that um, they're, up, they're experiencing an upturn in form lately and climbing towards the top of the table. So, uh, I, I've seen it coming for a while. To be honest, I feel like Arsenal fans are, have been a little bit panic stations early in the season and things like that. But I've been a, quite a fan of Arteta since he took charge, and I think he's been gradually doing the right things. And now he seems to be to be reaping the rewards, really. Yeah, of course. He has been doing the right things indeed. And one right thing he has been doing that was shown in the Watford game was the partnership between Martin Erdegaard and Bukayo Saka. Now, I think Bukayo Saka this season has the most uh, goals and assists combined out of any other under-21 player in the league with 13. And he's really showed against Watford, didn't he, with his connection with Martin Erdegaard. Do you think those two have a little link up there that could be really dominant in the future? Yeah, well, I like what Arteta's doing with them. Um, you know, against Watford in particular, it, it was you know, nice rotations and it was allowing Arsenal to to occupy the final third with five players and but with Odegaard kind of as a, a central right player, if you like, um and Saka occupying the flanks uh, out wide. So it Odegaard just naturally attracted players towards him. It allowed Saka to um to engage in one V ones out wide, which we know he's very good at. So what yeah, what I like is that Arteta's kind of allowing both players to do what they're good at. I think Saka's very good one v one. He's good at dribbling, he's good at driving forwards into the penalty box, creating for players. And I think Odegaard has got a little bit less output to his game, but I think he's very good in tight spaces. I think his awareness is very good, his vision, um, first touch and things like that. So I think the basis of it, tactic wise, you've just got players doing what they're good at, and as a result of that, they're thriving. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. And as you said, Erdegaard's output hasn't been great. He has three assists this season, but I feel like his impact overall is so important to the team. It's so crucial. He's almost like a midfield enforcer from a more of an attacking position. And that's that's really benefiting Arsenal. Do you agree with that, Josh? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I said, I wrote a piece re recently actually on a, a comment Pep Guardiola made. I think it was along, along the lines of statistics and how certain players drift under the radar without the statistics. And I think Odegaard is, is one of them, really. I don't think he'll ever really be one of them who's posting 10 goals, 10 assists per season. But I think he'll always be the type of player who's who's positively contributing. Um, as I said, he's got really good close control, nice first touch. He can retain the ball in tight spaces. He can keep sustaining attacks. Seems to be an honest um, you know, type of player who's willing to learn and things like that. He's very young. So I only see an upwards care for Odegaard and um, yeah, I like the way Arsenal are doing things at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned the right half space between him and Bakay Saka. And I think he'd done the same at Real Sociedad when he was linking up well with Alexander Izak. And of course, Arsenal were linked with him in January, Josh. And do you think Izak, this is a perfect time to shoehorn Izak in in the summer now? We found that almost a perfect position for Martin Odegaard. 
I think that one would depend for me. Uh, yeah. I'm just searching now Isaac to see when his contract expires, but I'm pretty sure it's it's far away. Uh, yeah, 2026. So this summer he'll have four years left on his contract. For me, he's not moving. And if he is, it's for an expensive price. For me, probably more than he's worth. So although they've got that relationship there, maybe it's one to keep an eye on a little bit further down the line. Um, but this summer, if I was Arsenal, I'd be looking for a player who's got less years on his deal and a player who maybe is a bit more equipped to deliver immediately. Uh, not not someone who's 28 or something like that, but someone who's like, you know, 24, 25, 26, who's, who's capable of delivering now, but will also offer stability for Arsenal for about five years. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Of course, Lacazette's goals have been dry this season. And do you think, though, that is a reason why Odegaard's assist has been so low? Is it simply because, as we, as we mentioned, it's the output, it's not about statistics. If we had the, let's say we signed Flaovic in, in January, do you think Odegaard's assist would have dramatically improved over the last couple of months? Or do you think they'll be around the same level? Uh, it's an interesting show, actually. Um, I, I don't actually have Lacazette down as much of a, of a bad finisher, personally. Um, I'm just going to get up his numbers now just to, to check whether he's underperforming or overperforming. Yeah, so he is underperforming this season um, by about three goals, according to XG. That's probably quite dramatic in terms of the whole of the Premier League. I think in the Premier League, not many players will be underperforming by by much more than that. So you might have a point there. Um, and in terms of Odegaard, in terms of the, the chances he's created for others, he's on 44 key passes for the season mm-hmm. in the Premier League. Uh, a key pass is a pass that leads directly to a shot. So, yeah, you might have a point. Um, but I still don't think Odegaard is ever going to be a real um, creative source of, you know, like a De Bruyne or someone like that, or a yeah. Alexander-Arnold, someone who's creating chance chances literally every 10 minutes. I don't think he's ever going to be that player. For me, he's kind of like a... I think the the tactical term, I think, is needle player. He's, he's okay. like a... Uh, as I said, just tight spaces, high up the field. Good in those areas, it's difficult to keep the ball. Odegaard keeps the ball in those areas. Um, yeah, it's hard to explain, but he's that kind of player for me. He's just a positive contributor under the radar and suits the style of play and things like that. But in terms of um, boosting his assists, maybe he'll get to a point in his career where he's where he's quite creative and things. But I don't think he'll ever be. The, you know the league's top creator and like that regardless of the striker who he's playing with yeah no i agree with you there i agree i think he he's better in other departments it's not just his uh, statistics as you mentioned with your piece on pep guardiola i do want to speak about statistics though with alexandra lacazette and now fans are divided on him they say he doesn't score enough goals but another section of fans will say okay no he's offering other stuff to the game he's assists and i agree with the Okay, he's offering enough assists because he has seven assists in nine games, I believe. And no other Arsenal player has done that in a season except for Meza Ozil. And that's, he's, of course, one of the most creative players to ever grace the game in the Premier League. And what, what, what are your thoughts on Alex? Do you think, uh, sorry, do you think he should be scoring goals or do you think his assists are enough to, to really get, push Arsenal into a top four position? Yeah, well, I've said to Tom before on this podcast that some strikers you get and all they do is score goals. And when they don't score goals, it's like playing with 10 men. Um, I'm a Liverpool fan. People who listen to this show regularly will, will be aware of that. Uh, and we had a player like that in Daniel Sturge. 
Sturridge got to a point where he was, you know, he'd suffered from a few injuries and he was a good finisher. But when he didn't score, he offered very, very little. Um, and there's plenty of strikers like that out there, but I don't think Lacazette is one of them. I think when Lacazette doesn't score, he's still a net positive on the pitch. I think he links with players very well. I think he comes across to me as a bit of a leader. Um, I think his his withdrawn movements into midfield help the runs in behind of like uh, you know Martinelli and and Saka and Smith Rowe. So I think he's a positive contributor to the system. Um, and I don't think his sole responsibility is finish the moves for us. I think he's doing more than that. Um, so I, I haven't got major issues with Lacazette. I like what he's doing. I think it only really becomes a problem if the players around him stop scoring. And I can't really see that being much of an issue considering the, the attack and talent that Arteta has got. So I like Lacazette. And I think he you can potentially upgrade on him. Um, but I do like what he's doing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And you mentioned Liverpool there with Daniel Sturridge. And now I'm pretty sure if I'm to be corrected, you replaced Daniel Sturridge as a striker with Roberto Firmino. Yeah. Do you see similarities with him and Lacazette there? Because let's say there's an inside forward in Marcinelli, inside forward in Kaisaka, inside forward in Sadio Mane and and um, Mohamed Salah, sorry. So is there a little link there? Are we seeing similar styles of play? Yeah, well, I was going to use Firmino as an example, actually. You know, Liverpool fans over the the first few years of Firmino, the, the fan base was very much of the traditional mindset of he's good, yeah, but we need a striker, we need a striker, we need a striker. And it's it all, it's all, only until the system has started to deliver consistency and trophies that people have stopped going on about that sort of stuff, really. So it's not so much you need that fixed penalty box player to score all your goals. It's more just you need the system to score goals however possible. Um, and if you're playing with wide forwards like Liverpool do, the fact that Firmino doesn't score 20 a season isn't that much of an issue. And I think Arsenal, um, they play with that wide forwards who are maybe a bit less goal-obsessed than Liverpool's wide forwards. But they, they, they are contributing, they are, they are chipping in with a fair few each. So I don't see it being much of an issue. I think Arsenal can replace Lacazette with a player who does score a bit more often. But I do like, uh, especially in the modern game, and a, and a player who's playing under Michel Arteta, who seems to be, you know, imposing kind of like a, a total football brand, brand of football. You kind of need everyone to be contributing. And if you just got a player who's standing in the box at the, at the top end of the field, things can break down a little bit. I mean, we saw we see Chelsea, don't we, with Lukaku and the whole seven touches thing a few weeks ago. That's, that's the issues you can have. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Even looking at Manchester City, they don't have a number nine, but they are still scoring as many goals as possible. And Arsenal have been linked with a player, Shao Felix. Now, Josh, I'm a big fan of Shao Felix, and I would actually like to see him in that role that even Lacazette plays up front. But he has only scored five goals for Atletico Madrid this season. Do you think Lacazette is showing possibly that Shao Felix could come in and even do a job himself here? Funnily enough, I've just wrote a piece on Shao Felix this morning on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I saw the links... Um, and I did think that if you're replacing Lacazette with a certain type of player and you want to keep the system the same, I do think Yao Felix ticks those boxes. I think he's very, very similar to Lacazette, Firmino, that type of player who's a um, he's a central attacking player, if you like, but he's maybe not the most inclined to score goals, focuses a bit more on linking with the play, dropping deeper, helping out the midfield. So I think if you want a like-for-like replacement, Yao Felix is... is 
probably as good as you can get, really. The only issue is, similar to Isaac, he's contracted until 2026. So I highly doubt Arsenal are going to be able to get him. And if they are going to get him, they're going to pay an awful loss. So I think they've got the right type of player nailed. Um, it would give me a bit of hope that Arsenal are going to get it right, the fact that they're linked with Felix. But I don't think it'll be Felix. But I think you can target that type of player from elsewhere. He's going to be a bit cheaper. few years left, uh, less on his deal. Someone like, um, I mean, Goody maybe, or someone like um, Jonathan David. You know, players who, strikers you can, you can drop off and can contribute overall without scoring. But you can probably get them for a little bit cheaper. I was going to speak about Jonathan David, actually. I'm a big fan of him. And he, I think he scored the other day. That was his first goal since uh, Christmas, I think, uh, against, uh, I forgot the team now, but him and Sanchez, Renato Sanchez, who Arsenal have also been linked with, uh, combined well for the goal. And do you think, I know Jonathan David has scored quite a few league on goals this season. Do you think he would be the ideal uh, Arsenal signing in that position? Yeah, he, he, if I was in charge of Arsenal's recruitment, he would be a player that I was I would be seriously considering. Um, he's got lots of lots of nice perks attached to his game. He's still only twenty two. Yeah. He turned twenty two fifty three days ago. Um, he's very two footed. Um, and over the course of the past four seasons, in this is league only. He's he always scores around fifteen goals. You know? so when he first emerged at Ghent. As an 18-year-old, he scored 12. Then he scored 18. Then he scored 13 at Lille. And then he scored, he's on 13 as of right now for Lille. Uh, and that's probably going to keep improving before between now and the end of the season. So, And I think if you if you look at his goals, particularly since he's joined Lille, I think there's a really nice split between goals with his left foot and goals with his right foot. Uh, he's quick. Good, he's good at linking with others. He's not just a, a poacher. Um, so and he's he's playing for a club that you can probably get him from. You know, it, it, it's yeah. not going to be too difficult to get a player from Lille. So he's a player who would who would seriously interest me. I know that you tried to get Vlahovic, didn't get him, uh, and I'm sure Calvert Lewin will be on your radar, especially if Everton get relegated. <laughs> Hopefully that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope that does happen. But I do not want Calvert Lewin. I've always said that. Um, How come? I'm just not a big fan of Calvert-Lewin. I think he's limited. I think he, of course, he's great in the air. He's got a great lead, but he hasn't shown enough to me to, for him to make the step up to Arsenal or trying to play in the Champions League. I just don't think he has done enough. Do you agree with that or do you think Arsenal should go for Calvert-Lewin? It's difficult one about Calvert-Lewin because I, I am a fan of him, but I do agree that he's limited on the ball. I think he, in terms of a possession player and his, his ability to, to link inside spaces and his passing ability and things like that, I think he's very, very basic. Um, he is more of a put him in the box and he'll finish for you. Um, but if Arsenal can can develop a system around that, I'm sure he'll do well there. And he is a good finisher. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. He is a good finisher. He's good in the air. So he's a nice player. But I do I do agree that when it comes to Arsenal, maybe they could get a player who's a bit more, bit more total football. Yeah, a bit more natural as well, because I know he hasn't always played as a striker at Everton, of course. I remember uh, Ronald Koeman utilising him as a right wing back and then he moved forward as a winger, then he eventually played as a striker. But I just don't see, I think he's still learning his trade as a striker. I don't think he's fully honed these skills. And as you said, I think if Arsenal sign a striker, they need, they need someone to come in and bang in the goal straight away. And um, 
Speaking about Jonathan David, just going back to Jonathan David real quickly, because me and Tom, me and Tom, we spoke about him in their show, in the morning show, about how if him and Lacazette would work together, if Lacazette was still at the club, because fans say, okay, we need a striker with a bit more physical presence, aerial dominance. Now, do you think Lacazette and Jonathan David both being at the club next season, is that a good striker pair? Or do you need, you know, maybe to switch one, one big striker, one small striker to really like have more of a variety up front? I'm not sure. I, I, I can't. Picture Arteta playing with with two strikers at once. To be honest, I mean, I know we had, you know, I know we had uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang for a period of time. Not too often did they both play at the same time. Um, so I think if Lacazette, if Lacazette was to stay beyond this season, I think he would just kind of he would probably aid the transition um, when it comes to you know handing over the the guard to. Um, to David, I think he'd help with taking the pressure off David a little bit. He'd be able to come in and do a job. Um, it's going to be interesting, actually, to see if Arteta wants to keep Lacazette beyond this summer because, obviously, Arsenal have had a few issues over the past few years when it comes to keeping players who are getting on, who are, who are ageing a little bit. And as a result, Arsenal have had to kind of eat the contracts, basically, before they've actually wanted to. Ozil, uh, Aubameyang. So, what, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I'm... I'm not too sure. I'd rather have one as, as just the system that is now, but I, I do worry about having two of the same strikers in the team. I think I do like a variety. For example, if a games we're struggling in the game, I'd like to, you know, when we had Giroud in the past, for example, if we had like another smaller striker, if we had Lacazette and Giroud, for example, in better in better times of their careers, I think that is a good uh, balance to have as striking options. I think having two of the same striker is a bit worrying for me. Jonathan David and Lacazette, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too fond of that simply because they are very similar in terms of their size and stature. So I'm not too sure about those two together, to be honest. Yeah, the only the only thing with that is when it comes to, say, for example, my club, Liverpool, I've, I've got loads of wide forwards. They all are very, very similar. But because they're all just very good, it, it, it does help. And if you look at Pep at the minute at Manchester City, they have he, he he seems to have a team of creators. You know they're all they're all number tens. They're all they're all playmakers. Uh, but because they're so good, it just kind of works, and it it does mean in a way that you can rotate and you can suffer from injuries and nothing really changes because you can still play in the same way. Whereas if you focus on getting players who are different, when you're getting players who are different, you'll have more maybe more tactical options to use and more ways to change things up. But if you have to rotate, or if you have to um, suffer from injuries or whatever like that. You might have to then change your system match match to match. So I think there's pros and cons to it, really. Yeah, definitely, I agree. I think also where Pep Guardiola and Klopp, their systems are more tried and trusted. So I'd trust them more to sign the same player with Arteta. This is very a new system, a brand new system. So I'm worried if we sign a player who's similar, it still might not work. I suppose we have a yeah. You don't want to see. You don't know how it will go in the future. So if Pep and Klopp is much easier to trust them and say whatever player they put out they succeed as they do and as they prove. So it's, it's hard to say that with Arteta. But we're going to talk of this, move on to the top four race. And before we do end the show, Josh, now I know you don't have to worry with Liverpool. You guys are fine. You guys are clear chasing <laughs> chasing the elite title and all that. But for Arsenal, do you think we're in a in the best position right now to qualify for the top four? Considering Tottenham did win 5-0 yesterday and they are chasing us. Do you think Arsenal are favourites or, or would you give it to Manchester United or Tottenham? No, I'd, I'd still say Arsenal favourites. And... I'm quite happy actually. I, I got asked this uh, a month or two ago, maybe, um, and I, I did say it was out of Arsenal and Spurs. I didn't give Man United much at all, and uh, so far that's looking good. Um, according to five thirty-eight, which is a uh, you know 
forecasting project model type thing that I use every now and then. They give Arsenal currently 60% on yeah. to, to qualify for the Champions League. Spurs, 26%. And United, 11%. So that's about how I'd have it. I think Spurs are your only challenges. and But I do think they are legitimate challenges. You know, if they, if they can't play like they did last night and like they did against Leeds, um, you know, you've got Antonio Conte in charge. They can deliver consistent results between now and the end of the season. They can win virtually every week if they listen to Conte and, and, and execute what he's asking. Um, the big question mark there is is the players. You know, they don't they don't seem to be consistent players in terms of just being very flaky and very difficult to predict. And in terms of Man United, I just I just can't see. It. Um, I don't think they deserve it either. So I don't. I hope they don't get it. I think it's Arsenal or Spurs for me. But I would a lot because of the games and things like that, and because of your current position. I would say Arsenal have got the strength. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I've always said that Tottenham for me have always worried me and at the start when Conte came in I said Tottenham would get top four as much as I hated to say it I thought they would under Conte because he's such an elite manager but in saying that I think you look at back at the top four race in previous years just with the 18-19 season I remember it's like it's the worst team out of the out, the best team out of the worst of them to, to really qualify every team loses stupid games I remember Arsenal could have qualified against Crystal in 18-19 but we lost to Crystal Palace and then dropped points to Brighton stupidly and was one point away from the top four and I think it's fine margins that get you in that position of Tottenham having Harry Kane, a top striker where Arsenal don't have. Do you think that could be? I feel like for me, that's a big difference. I think having a top striker who can score the goals for you, can win you a game. I remember the game against Leicester, Harry Kane really did carry it. The game against Manchester City, Harry Kane really did carry it. They have the X factor to kind of get them over the line sometimes. And do you think that will affect Arsenal like the last, let's say the last three games, for example, when we desperately need a goal or, or a win? Yeah, well, again, there's two, there's two ways you're looking at it, really, isn't there? I mean, Arsenal seem to be to me, a, a lot more of a team, um, specifically when it comes to attacking and putting the ball in the net, it seems to be more of a, a team approach, you know, spread across a number of players, whereas Spurs seem to dedicate their goals through, you know, Son and, and Kane, really. So, in, in a way, you have more proven goals at Spurs, but from an opposition perspective, maybe it's easier to to stop because, you know, where the goals are going to come from, if you know what I mean. Um so it's it's a difficult one. Um, I do rate Harry Kane massively, and I think I think Spurs have got the credentials, as I said, to almost win every game between now and the end of the season, really. Um, but it's just whether they will. And I saw a weird, uh, weird stat about Spurs and uh, winning games under Conte when they've got more than five days rest compared to when they've got less than five days rest, and it's it's total polar opposites. So when you get a bit of rest, basically, they go and win matches. Um, and between now and the end of the season, I suppose now you could get that considering they've been knocked out of of some of the domestic yeah. cups and, and things like that. So but looking at Arsenal's running now, I've just I look at them now and I think the only fixture that I think Arsenal will are very unlikely to win is against Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> every other game, every other game. I mean the only other tough game is Man United, and that's at the Emirates. So I, I Chelsea? think Chelsea. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. This, this is. Oh, I'm, I can't see the uh, the postponed the games. Yeah, yeah. Well, we oh, have Chelsea Spurs and Spurs away. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can see that. Okay, that's that mixes it up a little bit. Then. <laughs> that's very interesting. I remember. I do remember you talking about uh, Tottenham's inconsistency uh, earlier in the show. And Arsenal have won the last four in a row. We've named the three. We've we've named the same X sign three of those. 
just how important is consistency of the selection of course you think that's also important having the same amount of players on the pitch and just creating a bond yeah well that's that's one of the reasons you know you you mentioned storage earlier that's one of the reasons storage came out the team it wasn't because he weren't very good it was because Firmino was consistently available every week storage wasn't um and you build from that and I think Arsenal are getting to a point now even with Kieran say anywhere the key players are available every week and crucially as well I think Arsenal's back five this season they've, they've played together a lot uh, and you just develop these relationships you develop these patterns of play and you just keep doing it every single week and over time as long as your players keep improving and things like that and you keep adding to them with better transfers you do get to a point where your performance are a really high level but if you look at any team over the past couple of years that have done that have done well even the likes of West Ham it's because they've got they've had an established core of players that are playing every week um, and I think that's that's been not so much the case at Arsenal over the past few years, but this season certainly is. Of course, and once again, I think that's the benefits of not playing in Europe. When we didn't qualify, I was quite happy because I wanted to see this. I wanted us to rest and have focus on each Premier League game so we can qualify for the Champions League that way. But we shall see how the top four run does go towards the end of the season. We are going to end the show there now, guys. But thank you for tuning in. As always, Josh, thank you for coming on, mate. Yeah, no worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you, mate. If you want to hear more from Josh, guys, make sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Distant Covered. You can see more there. And if you want to follow me at BaileyQ underscore, but that is the end of the show. Make sure you like and subscribe. And most importantly, make sure you keep following us down the Arsenal way. <laughs>